You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Uh, This is found in John 12, verse 20 through 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Everybody remember, the question is, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. So this is what Jesus heard. Jesus heard, some people want to see you. And his response is, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus, we said some people want to see you. What are you talking about right now? Like, you ever have that person in your life who you say, how are you? And now you sit down for a four and a half year story that you did not sign up for? Or you say something like, hey, I have one question for you. You ask it and they answer the 98 questions you didn't ask. Jesus is that guy. He's that guy. He's not done yet. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I love the fact that somebody wanting to see Jesus spawns a conversation between Jesus and his father. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice, and again, no one asked a question. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That's the verse I want you to remember this morning. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him. Now everybody's just answering questions that weren't asked. So the crowd answered him. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them. Now the question again was, people want to see you. And his response was about farming. And then they say again, who is the Son of Man? And here's his answer. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. The word of the Lord. Jesus doesn't answer any questions we ever ask him, simply. Some Greeks want to see you. And his response to the question is, if a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. 
But if it goes into the ground and dies, it'll bear much fruit. What is Jesus saying? Here's the quick answer. Jesus is saying, if you really want to see me, come see me on Good Friday. Because that's me. No one has actually seen me yet. You cannot say you've seen me until you see me fully suspended. Like the Red Sea was parted, my flesh parted. Like the thorns that were promised to Adam are now pressed into my head. Like the sweat that was promised to Adam is now pouring out of my forehead. Like the garden that had a tree of life which became the tree of death, now you see me hanging on the tree of death. Until you see me fully taking the place of everything that has gone wrong, you haven't seen me. So tell them that if they want to see me in a few days, climb this mountain with me and you'll see me. Because God is most seen in Jesus and Jesus is most seen on the cross. God looks like Jesus and Jesus is most seen when he's hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. Why have you forsaken me? I thirst. And in spite of all of that, into your hands I commit my spirit. Setting up families, taking care of his mother. John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. In his moment of being misunderstood, falsely accused, treated unfairly, oppressed for no reason, what is on his mind? His own family taking care of his mom. Wagging fingers saying, ah, see, you who said you could rebuild the temple, you can't even come down off a Roman cross. And Jesus responding with, Father, forgive these people, they don't know what they're doing. Which begs the question, do we sin most in our own subconscious because Jesus says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's when he's most clearly seen. Some of us still ask him, Lord, we want to see you. It's all right. Take up your cross and follow me. Okay, fine. I don't want to see you. I just want to hear you. <laughs> That's when he's most seen, when he's on the cross. That's when God is most revealed, when Jesus is on the cross. That's when our life makes 100% sense when Jesus is on the cross. So many of us have grew up in a tribe that has told us to deny any feelings of suffering, to, to not claim them, to not say that they exist. It's, it's faithless to say, I have depression. It's faithless to say, I'm despairing today. It's faithless to say, I'm a little hopeless today. It's faith, faithless to say, I'm doubting. However, Jesus hangs on the cross to say, your suffering is real. What you feel is real. I just got upset with the Lord during that last song because we had a dear brother who came to this church for a little while. His name was Edward. And he passed away from a drug overdose during COVID. And when Stephanie sang that song, two things happened to me. Number one, I could hear him singing it. My man would have sang it louder than the whole worship team. They would have got off key because <laughs> he would have been singing it. 
But then we're singing, there's no mountain you won't climb up. And I just sat there and I'm like, Lord, why don't you fight for him? No response. But you know what the cross tells me? I'm allowed to ask that question. I'm allowed to get ticked off a little bit. If Jesus can say to the Father, why have you forsaken me? I could say, why have you done something, God? He validates it. That's why he says you can't see me until you see me on the cross. Because it's only here that I make your life make sense. It's only, because here's the one thing. We hope for perfection. Can I get a witness? But we understand imperfection. (laughs) We understand things most by experience. Raise your hand if you've been perfect. Raise your hand if you've been imperfect. See, we understand imperfection more because we experience it every day. So when Jesus hangs on the cross, that's, that's the moment we can say, this I can get. I can get this. That's why Jesus never offers us a loaf of bread that's not first broken. Because we don't understand things that are whole. But we understand things that are crumbly. But Jesus says something that turns out not to be true. (gasps) Everyone settle. I'll make sure we... T.D. Jakes once said... The best kind of sermon is when you get Jesus into a lot of trouble early and then later on show that he's not in trouble anymore. So Jesus said something that wasn't true. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will. Come on, say it out loud. I know it's a whole sentence. If I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. If I'm lifted up on the cross, and he even says, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw how many men? So let's go to Good Friday when he's lifted up. Is everybody there drawn to him? Did the whole world show up to Golgotha? Did all of his disciples show up? And the only one who stayed, Jesus told to go home. He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw how many? And the only one or two that stayed, he said, go home. So what happened? You were lifted up. And all you got was mockery. You were lifted up. And all you got was abandonment. What was Peter doing? Denying. Judas. Losing his life under his own guilt. Most of the disciples just not even named because they're not here anymore. Where they go? Jesus even said... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be. But he also said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all. And again, it's like, Jesus, listen to me for a second. We ask you if, to, if we want to see you and you tell us about farming, which back then, especially, we all know how to do this. Then you say you're going to be struck and everyone's going to be scattered. And then you say when you're lifted up, which is when you were struck... You'll draw all men unto yourself. I thought Jacqueline was the most confusing person in my life. That was funny. Everyone, I'm sorry. 
You're the second most confusing person in my life. Jesus is now the most confusing person in my life. And maybe Sophia. Steve, I said Sophia just for you. He asked me how many Sundays in a row I'm going to say Sophia. So now every Sunday I will say it. Don't ever challenge me when I get paid to have a microphone. What is going on? Let's look for one clue because this, this what I have to say right now is something that I feel like I wish I could just give birth to it and hand it to you swaddled and adorable so you would receive it. Weird. But Paul said it, so I'm in good company. I want so bad for everybody to get this. That's why I'm delaying and being extremely dramatic because normally I'm not dramatic. Normally I don't like any theater. I just like to say things plainly and let you all just have time and space to process. That's what we call a lie from the pit of hell. I love this moment. (laughs) I love this tension. Jesus, here's the clue. He says, my hour has come. That's the clue. John is writing this gospel. John is a master gospel writer. This phrase, my hour, he has weaved into the tapestry of the greatest story ever told. And this phrase, my hour, has been the foreboding, foreshadowing moment of the entire scene. If this gospel is a movie, every once in a while, just when it seems good, there's this phrase, my hour, and it makes you wonder, what is this moment going to be? And the first time Jesus says it is in his very first miracle. He's at a wedding because Jesus was the kind of person who people wanted to have at a party. We got to loosen up the hinges a little bit, church. Jesus got invited places. He was cool. You don't have to be relevant to be desired. That's a whole different sermon. And at the wedding, they run out of wine, probably because Jesus was stressing everybody out with his answers. Every time we ask him a question, I don't understand what he's saying. I'll have another one, please. They run out of wine, and Mary, his mother, politely says, son, they have no wine. And Jesus politely responds, woman, terrified to even say it, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then Mary is like, okay, do whatever he tells you to do. Like a good mom, she's like, don't you ever talk to me like that again. I don't care if your hour has come or not. Now you're going to do it. So now we have to rewrite the whole story. If you would have just shut your mouth, I would have walked away. But now that you said that in front of everybody, go do whatever it is he tells you to do. And now the whole wedding party is like, are you going to help us? And Jesus is like, thanks, mom. His hour had not yet come. See, In Jesus' mind and in John's gospel, here's what Jesus and John want you to know. Everything Jesus does is done with the cross in mind. Everything. Everything. 
So he says his hour has not yet come because it's not time for him to die. Why? Because we haven't seen enough of him to know who it is that would be dying. So what does he do? He launches into his first miracle and he tells servants to fill up 180 gallon jars and bring it to the master of the feast. And sure enough, Jesus has turned this water into wine. And it says that when the master tasted the water now become wine, he said to the servants... This is incredible what you've done. You brought out the best wine last. Notice who doesn't get credit for the miracle. Read the story carefully. The master of the feast has no idea that it was Jesus who saved the day. Who does he celebrate? The servants. We're starting to see something about the kind of kingdom Jesus wants to have. The ones nobody pays attention to, the ones who are under the thumb of the oppressive powers of the day, the ones who don't have a voice, whose vote doesn't count, who no one cares if they live or die, all of a sudden in the first sign of the cross, they're the ones who are celebrated. And it says this, this Jesus did to reveal his glory. What is his glory? His glory is twofold. One that they had the wine, but two, that servants were celebrated and got to participate in the miracle. What is the question we're answering? If I am lifted up, I will draw how many men? All men to myself, and nobody was there at the cross. We're slowly going to answer why. In his second miracle, in John's Gospel, He heals a centurion's son, an official son. And Jesus says, go home, your son has been made well. And on his way home, it says that the servants ran out of the house and told the official, your son is made well. And the official says, what time did it happen? And they said, yesterday at about this hour. And the centurion knew that's when Jesus said it. But who gets to announce the good news? The servants. And it says in John's gospel, this was the second sign that Jesus gave. It doesn't say that anymore after the miracles, because now the reader knows every miracle is a sign. I hope you get this by the end. The next miracle. A man at the pool. Do you want me to heal you? I've been laying here for 30-something years. And the problem is my legs don't work. But the problem is the way you get healed is you run into the pool. So as you can see, Jesus, the system that has been set up doesn't work for me. And they can tell me to try harder, but it doesn't work for me. They can tell me to work harder, but it doesn't work for me. They can tell me to pull myself up by my bootstraps. This is America. Everything works when you try. But this system doesn't work for me. Do you want me to heal you? And the man's response is, I have nobody to put me in the pool. You see, once an oppressive system gets into society, it's how you answer every question. That's not the question Jesus asked. But when an evil, broken system is rooted in you, it's the only way you know how to speak. Do you want me to heal you? I have no one to put me in the pool. 
How does Jesus let this man know he's been healed? What does Jesus say next? Say it. He lets him participate in the healing. Servants are celebrated. Servants are celebrated. This man takes up his mat. He gets to participate in it. Again, Jesus' glory is revealed because there was wine, but also because we got to participate in it with him. Jesus' glory is revealed because a centurion's son was healed, but it's also revealed because servants got to bring the good news. Jesus' glory is revealed because the man was healed, but it was also revealed because he took part in his own healing. He picked up the very thing that told him every day, you'll never get off this. Now the man is carrying it. The sign that was an indictment against him is now in his hand, and he's bringing it where he wants to bring it. The next miracle, we talked about this last week, the feeding of the 5,000. Who actually fed the people? Who actually handed out the bread? Jesus' disciples, not Jesus. Did Jesus multiply the bread? But did Jesus hand it out? He let people participate in it with him. His glory was revealed because people ate, but his glory was also revealed because people participated. If I am lifted up, I will draw. But when he was lifted up, nobody was there. The next one, Jesus walks on water. Who's rowing the boat? The disciples. Who's caught in the storm? The disciples. Who is it that has to receive Jesus into the boat? The disciples. In Matthew's account, does Jesus walk on the water by himself? He lets somebody else do it with him. So in this next scene, his glory is revealed because he walked on the storm and he got them through the storm to the other side. But his glory is also revealed because he didn't row the boat safely ashore. He let his disciples learn this lesson that if I'm with you, you will get to the other side. Whether it's the other side in the natural or it's the other side into eternity, this boat will get to the other side and you're going to row it because you have enough in you to be able to get to the other side. It doesn't say Jesus got into the boat and said, let me show you how to row in a storm. He cooperated. He co-operated with the disciples. It even says this, that Jesus saw that they were rowing difficult. And it says this, he went onto the water, and it says this, he intended to pass by them. Why would it say that? Can you think of a story where God says to somebody, I'm going to show you my glory, hide in the cleft of the rock, and my glory is going to? Jesus is like they're in a storm. I'm going to show them what God showed Moses. I'm going to pass by. But as he's passing by, as he's passing by, the glory of God is not a production. The glory of God is not a performer on a stage. The glory of God is a human being. And so therefore, the glory of God, as much as it wants to be seen in all of its glory, he can't help but seeing people in trouble and get them. I'm going to show them my glory. Oh my gosh, they need help. 
I almost said, oh my God, but then he'd be talking to himself. The glory of God is this. The glory of God is not only the works of Christ, but the glory of God is also the fact that he's not so controlling that he doesn't share those works with us. If I am lifted up, I will draw. And nobody was there when he was lifted up. The sixth sign, a man was born blind. Famous question from the judgmental, judgmental fundamentalist disciples. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? If Jesus had the eye roll emoji, he'd have been like, said, nobody. And what does he say to the man? Here's what we're going to do. It's not exactly COVID-appropriate miracle, but it's Jesus. Smears dirt on the guy's face. He didn't ask that guy, do you want me to heal you? I'm going to put mud on your face. Do you want me to heal you? He just does it. He spits and he puts mud on the guy's face. And what does he say? Go wash yourself in the pool. I'll be right here. Hurry up, I'm timing you. One, two. This man now walks through town with mud on his face. Would you, have, would you have judged him? Straight up, if you were at the park and some guy walked by with spit and mud on his face, and it's like, where are you going? I'm blind. Where are you going? To a swimming pool. All right, Sophia, get over here. Let's just stay away from the crazy guy. Judging, getting judged the whole way. You know, I wonder how many times we see somebody acting a certain way and we judge them and we have no idea that it was Jesus who wanted them to act that way because their healing is about to be a judgment on the ones who judge them. <sighs> lethal. Jesus is lethal. If I was that guy, because you know when you're blind you can hear real well, I would have listened to every single comment made and I would have gone back the same way. And I would have pretended I was blind and then scared them half to death. I'd have just been like, oh man, you look good in red. <laughs> his glory is that the man could see, but his glory is also that the man participated in his own miracle. Do you see that? If I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, but nobody was there when he was lifted up. And finally, and maybe most famously, the seventh sign in John's gospel. Lazarus, whom you love, is dead. And Jesus stands in front of the tomb and says to us, roll the stone away. Then he just wakes Lazarus up. Hey, come here. And Lazarus comes out. And what, is the next, what does Jesus say to the people next? Loose that man and let him go. Roll away the stone and unbind him and let him go. Jesus gets glory because Lazarus is alive. But he also gets glory because we participated in unbinding the man now made alive. We get, Jesus gets glory because we push away the stone. 
Jesus gets glory because we unbind and loose. Now it makes sense. If I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And then Jesus is lifted up. And no one's there. Because we are how all men will be drawn to the cross. We bring the new wine. We join in the miracle. We walk on the water with him. We push the stone away. We unbind him and let him go. We take the bread and feed the 5,000. And Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And no one is there that day. Because your life is how Jesus wants to fulfill that line. Your life is how Jesus wants to woo people to the cross. Your words, your actions, your thoughts, words, and deeds are how Jesus draws all men to himself. Because they say, how could the Messiah be lifted up? Because at that point, nobody spoke well of a cross. It wasn't like the electric chair. People make that comparison all the time. Imagine hanging there. It's your kid on there, and they takes them seven days to die, and you got to sit there. You don't talk about this thing. That's why it says on Good Friday they were surprised that Jesus was already dead. What they didn't know is that the cross didn't kill him. He gave up his life, but that's an entirely different sermon. But there was no language to ever talk about this the way that we talk about it now until the Holy Spirit drops on the church. And then greater works will we do than Jesus did. That's what he said. And what does Jesus mean by that? He doesn't mean your works are going to be more impressive. He means when my spirit comes upon you, everywhere the church is, I am performing the miracles I've always performed in the Gospels. We are how people are wooed to the cross. We are the way that men and women are drawn to the blessed cross. We are the, we've been given language to talk about that like it's beautiful, not like it's horrible. The Holy Spirit has performed a miracle in our hearts and minds where we talk about the cross as something that gives life, not takes it away. But it is us that now have the responsibility to bring people to the cross. That's why Jesus says, now the ruler of this world is judged. What does he mean by that? Who's the ruler of the world? Obviously, it's Satan. How do we know this? Because Satan says to Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms. Why? Because I'm the ruler of the earth. But Jesus says, now the ruler of the earth is going to be judged. Now he's going to be stripped of his power. Why? Go back to Genesis 3. How does Satan woo us away from the tree of life? He points us to something and makes us think it's more beautiful. 
with clever speech, with subversion, not with a bullhorn, not in our face. Has God really said, look at this tree. It's beautiful for food. Isn't it the most beautiful tree in the whole garden? He woos us. The, the, the devil woos us away from life and woos us towards death and makes death seem more beautiful than life. And we end up eating the fruit of death and not knowing that we had something more beautiful because a voice was wooing us away from it. But now Jesus says to us, be wise as... Why be wise as serpents? Because you're now going to be the ones in the garden, in the wasteland that's become the earth. And your voice is the one who's going to woo people away from death and back to the tree of life. You're going to be the crafty one now. You're going to be the subtle one now. You're going to be the one that woos people and gently nudges them in a subversive, beautiful, creative way and brings them slowly over the course of time and brings them to the tree of life. This is one of the reasons why it was terrible when we're going out into all the world and just demanding that people get saved or they go to hell because that's not wooing, that's scaring. And whenever anybody comes to Jesus because they're scared not to, it's not a loving decision, it's a selfish one. Essie, if you got hit by a truck today, you'd burn forever in hell. So do you want Jesus? Of course she's going to say yes because she's not insane. But is she really choosing Jesus or is she choosing not burning? You don't throw it at people like that. You don't throw Jesus at people like David threw a rock at Goliath. You don't throw Jesus at people like, like Peter threw a sword at somebody. You woo. You work on it for a long time. You sit down with them. You pay attention to them. You learn their hurts. You empathize. And then you tell them the good news. I just said this to Pastor Mark this morning. He and I were texting and I said, no one ever understands your best explanation of something. They understand your 19th explanation of something. I'm going to say that again. No one will ever understand your best explanation of something. They'll understand your 37th explanation of something. It's not when you say it best. It's when you've said it enough for them to get it. That's our role. Jesus has been lifted up. He says, I'm going to draw all men to myself. And then we look at the cross and we say, Jesus, nobody is here. And he says, wait here for a helper. And when that helper comes, then you will be my body. And together we'll be drawing people to this cross. Please realize the calling you walk around with every day. You have been graced to woo people away from death and toward life. That's why our sin is so morbid and evil. Because when we indulge in things, we don't woo people to the fact that Jesus is enough. When we, when we curse and gossip and use our mouth for destruction, we don't woo people to the fact that Jesus is the word that heals. When we lust, we don't woo people to the fact that Jesus is what satisfies. When we're angry all the time, we don't woo people to the fact that he's merciful and just. That's why. That's why. 
it's important for us not to sin. Not so that I feel good about my standing with God. So that my life can woo yours. What, are, what tree are we going to pull people towards this, this week? We're wooers, one way or another. You're romantic, one way or another. Your life is going to romantically move somebody to something. Is it going to be the tree of life? Well, pastor, that doesn't look like a very comforting tree. That's why they need you. They need you to know that when you're willing to give it up, you'll find it. They need you to tell them that when you're generous, when you let go of what you have, that's in itself a blessing. You need to tell them that accumulating wealth is not where we get our standing from. Offering wealth is where we get our standing from. You need to tell them that... You need to tell them that even though you don't think you have a voice, I'm going to be ears that gives you a voice and woo them to the one who speaks. This morning in the book of Proverbs, yes, I read a proverb a day. Can you believe it? It said, he who isolates himself lives in his own opinion. That verse was just set for 2020 and 2021. That verse doesn't mean anything to anybody until this year. Those who isolate themselves live in their own opinion. Have we seen it happen? People stuck home for a full year, stuck on their phone, stuck in the never-ending algorithm of confirmation bias, just hearing what you want to hear, your phone feeding you videos and articles and sayings and quotes and images and pictures of everything it knows you already think because it just wants you to stay on your phone for advertising purposes. And we think we're researching when really we're being brought places. And it's just confirming our own bias. And then we leave our home suffocated by our own opinion. To the point where we denounce what doctors say because some dude in a pickup truck had a video. We WebMD everything now to find what we want. And then we tell our primary care physician, I don't have the flu, I have this. I looked it up. People WebMD me all the time. Pastor, what you just said is theologically wrong. Okay, cool. You do this for 50 hours a week for the next five years, and then we can have a conversation. We do it to each other all the time. It's annoying. It hurts. But when we're isolated, we get stuck in our own confirmation biases. And then we start living like the news that was brought to us is truth. Salem, our calling is so much better than that. This narrative of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has to be so forced into your life that it competes with every other narrative that shows up on a screen or on your TV. 
It ha- you have to. Listen to me. It's, this sounds old school. This might even sound legalistic. But if you're not in your word, simply because God has given us a story, do you notice that people never present facts plainly? They always encapsulate the fact with music and imagery and, and effects and story and testimony because the world has adopted the Christian practice of turning things into story because when something is turned into story, you can slip a fact in and people eat it like when you crush up medicine and put it in the kid's baby food. Unbelievable. Good job, Michaela. Unbelievable. That was amazing. We need to be obsessed with this narrative. It is not enough for you to read your proverb. It's not enough for you just to roll out of bed and come to church in the morning. It's not enough for you to... We are being inundated with stories that are wooing us away from the one who's called us to woo others towards him. This is our calling. This is why life matters. This is the only reason why life matters, is to live a life worthy of our calling, to woo people away from garbage and woo them towards Jesus. That's why our life matters. It doesn't matter if we're right about our politics. It doesn't matter if we're right about our opinions about COVID. It matters that we woo people away from that to Jesus. That's what matters. And what made Jesus say his hour had come? After all of these moments where Jesus says, my hour hasn't come, but here's wine. My hour hasn't come, but here's a healing. My hour hasn't come, but here's bread for 5,000. My hour hasn't come, but go wash yourself in the pool. My hour hasn't come, but take up your mat and go home. What made him say his hour came? They say some Greeks are looking for you. That means nothing to us. But you know what it meant for for Jesus? Thousands of years ago, God told Abraham... Through you, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Jesus heard the Jews. Some Jews finally said, we want to see you. He's like, all right, but that's not enough yet. Then some Samaritans wanted to see him, who are also Jews. Closer. But what does he say? I have sheep that are not... And then the Gentiles say, we want to see you. And Jesus says, now all the nations of the earth want to see me. What does that mean for us? It means that your moment will come when you serve somebody who is nothing like you. That's when God wants you to spring into action. It's easy for me to serve Dan Savage. It's easy for me to serve Grady. We're like-minded. We agree on most things, mostly between me and Grady. Me and Dan sometimes have a... We, we ruin apple picking day sometimes. I'm still, I still apologize about that, Jess. It was his fault. He shouldn't have answered my questions. Wouldn't you all like to know? Half my neighborhood does, probably. But when somebody who's not like you rolls up into your life, and you have the opportunity to either dismiss them or serve them, that's when your hour has come. Because our job is to speak different languages. God gives us different languages in the Tower of Babel story. And then when does he unite language? Acts chapter 2. We only speak the same language in the Spirit. Why? 
so that difference can be celebrated and unified. This is what we walk, this is what we lose when we go home and we turn on garbage and listen to garbage and get all hyped up on garbage. If, listen to me. I, I've said things like this before. You're allowed to flip tables in people's lives if you want to, only if you're willing to climb a hill and die for them three days later. You're allowed to get hyped up on your... I, listen, if you want to be super passionate about your politics and, and all the stuff of the day, that's fine with me as long as you're more hyped up on this. If that gets you all wired, and so you're up at night researching, but Jesus can't get you to flip two pages before you go to work, I do have a problem with it as your pastor. You're not eating right. You're not eating right. If the world stuff gets you more passionate, even more angry. Listen, if the world gets you more angry than Jesus does, I have a problem with it. Jesus just got me angry over there. Stephanie sang a beautiful song, and I'm like, Lord, this song feels fake to me right now because a good friend of mine is dead. Why didn't you save him? If that stuff needs to get you hyped up. Some influencer out there gets you more hyped up and more angry or more excited about what you believe than this. There's a problem. And I can say that because you all chose to come here today. We're Christians. This is what we do. We get more hyped up on him to the point where we say, I would rather die than say no to this. Why? Because even if you killed me, you can't kill me. That, needs to, that, was, that was what the, the martyrs did. Ever hear of Alexander and Rufus? The children of one Simon of Cyrene? They were two of the first bishops in the church. In real time and space, the children of Simon of Cyrene became pastors in the church. How did they learn about Jesus? Their dad bent down and picked up a cross. And his children become some of the first leaders of the church. Because when their dad got home, a new narrative had totally infected his life. And he never shut up about it. Imagine seeing and saying, those, my pastor's dad is the one who actually walked Jesus there. Let it sink in. I'm going to ask John to come up and play. Is he here? Where the heck is John? Oh, thank the Lord Jesus. He appeared. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord. I'm like, again? As John takes the anointed walk to the piano. Again, kindred spirits, the drama is my favorite. Oh, I love it. Take your time. I want us to think I want us to think, let this notion overcome you that the narrative of the gospel has to be the most important narrative of your entire life. So don't open your communion cups yet. Just sit here for a moment and close your eyes. I'm going to recite some of the common phrases that we say as we get ready to come to the table. But here's what's about to happen. In these 
dinky little cups that we have in front of us is a meal that is the counter meal to the meal that Adam and Eve ate that ruined everything. God gives us another meal. And every Sunday, you are wooed from the wrong meal to the right meal. And that happens to you every Sunday. One person stands up in front of you every Sunday and woos you from one meal to a better meal. And you undergo that event every Sunday so that when you leave, you also are priests. And you also have the task of wooing people from one meal to another meal, from one narrative to a new narrative, from one voice in their head to a new voice in their head, from one way of life to a new way of life. So be wooed this morning. And then leave here knowing in everything that you have going on in your life, God is gracing you with the ability to just woo a little bit more this week. You are wise as serpents. You're now in creation. You're now crafty. You now move about the wilderness, no longer a garden. You move about the wilderness, bringing people to a tree that's eventually going to produce a garden again. So be more wooed this morning than anything else can. Be more triggered this morning than anything else can trigger you. Be more moved this morning than anything else can move you. Be more passionate. And if you're realizing right now, I am not as passionate about what pastor's saying as I am about other things in my life, then right now, make a commitment to tell the Holy Spirit with your help, we're going to make some changes. Quietly to yourself right now, just re- if that's you, just quietly to yourself, repeat after me, Father God. It's so easy to get caught up in the narratives all around me. Give me the grace to turn off those other narratives. And listen to the gospel. So that I can re-enter those other narratives. And re-narrate them. Saints, I'm not saying forget about mercy and justice. I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's enter that fight the way that Jesus entered that fight. Holy Spirit, I pray an anointing on Salem Tabernacle, everyone in this room and everyone watching from home, that you would anoint us to not throw out the other narratives, but to be so obsessed with you and your story that you re-narrate our heart and then we enter those other narratives and be able to hear the good and the lie and not get angry but slowly woo people out of the narrative that we've been wooed out of into the better one. 
you and your narrative, Father God, is the narrative that gives voice to the voiceless, that lifts up the broken, that sends the rich away empty and feeds the hungry with good things. And you want your church to take part in that. And so we come to your table, Father God, and we say on the night when you were betrayed, a narrative was developing about who you are. And you, in the middle of that narrative, a false accusation, misunderstanding, and straight up lie, you took bread. And thanksgiving overwhelmed your heart. I pray that as we see the things that are falling apart in the world around us, somehow, some way, thanksgiving would rise up in our heart. What kind of thanksgiving? Thanksgiving that knows that, Jesus, you've been broken and you're being distributed, and you won't stop being distributed until everything is made right. You took bread, and you broke it, and you gave it to the ones who were believing a false narrative. And you said, taste and see that my narrative tastes so much better than theirs. And after supper, after you sat there and listened to all the narratives, Lord Jesus, you listened to all the videos that your disciples watched that week. You listened to all the conspiracy theories. They sat there and WebMD'd you the whole meal. And your response? <laughs> you all are going to need to drink this. This is the blood that will forgive you of these sins. <laughs> drink it. <laughs> all of it. A lot. <laughs> Never stop coming to this table. Saints, listen, all the narratives you're going to hear, they could go into your ear, but this one hits your taste buds. And I want you to leave with the taste of the gospel in your body. Drink this, all of you. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would descend on this bread and this cup and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And sanctify us also that we, like the Apostle Paul said, might be living epistles, new stories when we leave here. And I pray, Father God, that this sermon would not be forgotten by 3 p.m. today, but all week long you would just redeposit this message into all of our ears, even mine. I'm the first one who can forget about this, Father God. I'm the first one who forgets about what I preach. I'm the first one who gets excited about a message and then forgets about it on Monday. So forgive me first. Forgive me first for buying into the narrative that I myself preached against. And give us all the grace to have you feed us all week on the new narrative so that we could join you in lifting you up so that all men might be drawn to you. Give us the grace to lift up the name of the one whose body was lifted up. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them by faith and allow them to nourish your hearts. This is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. This is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Would you partake with me this morning?
Would you stand with me as I bless you before you leave? Just lift your hands with me, please. Holy Spirit, what an amazing group of people you have allowed to walk into this room, each and every one of them, everyone watching from home, a special story, a person that you lived for, died for, and rose for, a person that you want so much more for than we could ever imagine, people that you are depositing your very life into our lives so that we can live your life on behalf of your life and as your life, draw others to your life. Give them the grace this week first to remember Second, to ask. And third, to live this life to the fullest and woo the world to the cross where they can find what really matters. In your holy name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Salem, leave rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.